Stormy Malone, a 2014 graduate of Texas A&M Commerce, is a licensed clinical professional counselor and doctoral student in community psychology at Wichita State University. She is in the second year of her program where she works as a research assistant and provides online counseling part-time. While at A&M Commerce, Stormy was active in residential living and learning, Greek life, and a Regent scholar. Following graduation, she attended the University of North Dakota, where she completed her master's degree in counseling. As a graduate student, she also worked at a local homeless shelter and co-facilitated a group for domestic violence offenders. Stormy spent two years after her graduate program working as a therapist at a nonprofit counseling organization. She then chose to return to school and is now working on her PhD. Stormy's main research interest is compassion fatigue. Her work and research interests include diversity, health and wellness, and nonprofit community organizations. Welcome, Stormy. How are you today? Hi, I'm doing well today. Thank you for having me here. Uh, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm so glad you're here. I'm excited to uh, tell your story. Uh, when I read your bio and heard a little bit about uh, compassion fatigue, I feel like that's going to be a really interesting topic of our discussion today. I've heard a lot about that here recently in uh, the midst of the pandemic. And so I think it's uh, apropos that we're talking today. So we're so glad to have you. Lion Talks is a casual conversation podcast. So I start every podcast with the same question for every guest. So I will do the same for you. So what would you say was your favorite part about your time at AM Commerce? I would have to say that I just really enjoyed the environment of the AM Commerce community and the campus. Um, I made a lot of friends there, some of which I'm still close to now. And um, it was a great time to be able to be close to those people. And um, as you know, like there's never a point in your life where you have that much access to your friends as you do and living on an on-campus community. I also really enjoyed like the opportunities that a smaller university had. Um, like I was able to be a part of so many different organizations um, and be involved uh, in ways that I don't think I would have been able to if I hadn't been somewhere else. That's awesome. Yeah, I think that's definitely a benefit of coming to a smaller school is you know, small, not only smaller class sizes, which is something we talk about a lot in student recruitment, but that ability to really get to know everybody. It really is such a family environment here and um, so many leadership opportunities when you're um, when you have a smaller student body. So that's really great. What were some of the uh, different I talked a little bit about them in your bio, but what were some of the um, ways that you got involved through those different departments? Uh, yeah, so I uh, was a part of Kappa Delta sorority starting um, in like the second half of my freshman year. So um, I got to be a part of that for almost all of my time that I was in commerce. So that one was really important. Um, and then I was a part of the Regent Scholars Program. Um, I spent a couple of years being a part of the band. I got the opportunity to be a part of the sophomore year experience and got to travel to Panama with a group of students. That's great. That's, uh, I love the um, that sophomore year experience trip. That's a, it's a great program. And I'm really glad you got to do that. I think you learn so much from traveling globally, no matter what age you are. And so I remember going on a trip when I was 18 that I still think about to this day. And I am very far from 18 at this point in my life, but that's really great. So, um, talk to me about your path and what, um, you know, you went to three different schools, which a lot of people do for undergrad, grad, and then doctoral programs. But 
talk to me about the path and what led you not only to commerce, but then to the um, thriving metroplex of uh, metroplex, thriving large area of North Dakota and Wichita <laughs> State, uh, the Shockers, I believe, at Wichita State. Mm-hmm. Um, how what led you to these three different schools? Yeah, uh, that's a question I get a lot when uh, people see where I've been at. Um, and so um, I think I was first drawn to A&M Commerce um, because I lived in a small area of North Texas um, and I was in the 4-H as a kid and sometimes we would have like activities that were at A&M Commerce. Um, so it was kind of like the first university that I was ever like associated with. Um and I am a first generation college student. So my family didn't know anything about universities, colleges, what to do, where to go. Um, so they, AM Commerce always stood out in my mind as like that first school that I made a connection with. Um, and then when I was applying for schools and I applied to Commerce, I then applied to be a part of the Honors College. And instead of that, I ended up going into the Regent Scholars Program. Um, and that was an incredible opportunity that I'm really glad I did not turn down. Um, and so being able to be a part of that program gave me the opportunity to go to school without, you know, the major expense of it. Um, so that's why I chose a Commerce in the first place. Um, and then when I was finishing my school and thinking about where I wanted to go, I uh, was just looking at a lot of different opportunities for counseling um, psychology programs. I was trying to find a program at the time that included like the master's and PhD level together. Um, and that didn't end up working out for me. Ultimately, I'm glad it did because I decided I didn't want to study counseling psychology for that long anyways. But the University of North Dakota was one of those schools that had that combined program. Um, and I ended up being accepted just into the master's program at the terminal level there. Um, And I really liked the advisor that I ended up choosing. um, And I was interested in her research area. So I chose to go there. Um, And then with Wichita State University, there's not that many programs that offer community psychology. It's a kind of a smaller subset of psychology, I guess. so when I figured out that community psychology was the direction that I wanted to go, I didn't have too many options to consider. Um, but I chose this program because it, it's giving me the opportunity to be really engaged with the community. Um, the advisor that I work with here is really good about finding us like these different activities to do where like uh, a few weeks ago, we did a strategic planning me- meeting with a small nonprofit organization. Um, and this past semester we did, um, like community listening sessions and built a report for the juvenile justice center here. Um, so it, I really appreciate that this program is very engaged with the community, especially since like, that's what I want to do with community psychology. That's great. That's, um, those are all really sound decisions you made there. Um, and it seems like it took you on a, on a, maybe a little different path than you may have expected, you know, Regents, not honors college, PhD versus master's joint program than to Wichita State, but it seems like you've been able to really find the right steps for you. So that's awesome. Um, you, uh, 
You talked about your, uh, I'm curious now, you talked about your advisor's area of research at North Dakota that you were very interested in. What was that? Yeah. Um, so one, um, I guess, not as traditional um, theory in counseling psychology is feminist theory. Um, and a lot of people like generally will like say um, that they use it maybe as like a basis for like uh, their thoughts or their philosophy, but they don't like use it too much. Um, but I felt like the majority of the professors at University of North Dakota um, were actually using that approach. Um, and the way I like try to think about it is it's mostly just saying um, that you are understanding the concerns of like power and control and how oppression has impacted um, people in their life. And so you're, you're going to take that into account when talking to a person. Um, and so that was one of them. And then also my advisor was really interested in um, the social justice um, and trying to confront some of this oppression. Wow. That's great. Um, a lot of, a lot of that, uh, topic is relevant to kind of where we are, mm -hmm. uh, as a society these days. So, um, yeah. that's really great that, um, you have such a strong passion for it, for that. Um, so you talked to just continuing on kind of talking about your research, you talked to about your main area of research being compassion fatigue for those who are not, um, myself included, uh, uh, specifically in the counseling field. Can you talk a little bit about how you would define compassion fatigue and where your doctoral research is taking you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so compassion fatigue is just like the exhaustion um, and it often has like physical and emotional symptoms um, that comes from working in a job that you have to give compassion all the time to people. Um, so pretty much any helping profession, um, I, I'd imagine even like professors, um, anyone who's working closely with people have the potential for experiencing compassion fatigue um, just because you, you need to be able to respond to people with kindness and compassion. Um, and so I, I agree with you completely that right now this is a really important issue, especially since uh, we're all trying to give so much compassion all the time. Um, and so at first, th this wasn't my main interest area. Um, but in my master's program, I remember reading this article that talked about how we can give compassion much more easily when there's one person who needs our help. But then when there's a hundred people who need our help, we kind of just like shut down and can't give compassion anymore um, because it, it's just too much. Um, so I, my current advisor, when I was interviewing for the program, uh, we had talked about that a little bit and she was really interested in compassion fatigue. Um, so, so it made a good connection for us to work together. Um, so we, we were, just working on a study of compassion fatigue um, for spiritual leaders um, because they are such a huge part of the community and people actually like turn to spiritual leaders a lot more frequently um, than they go to counselors sometimes. Yeah, I think you, you are so right about that. 
Um, I, I've seen many people, you know, I'm in different, like I'm a, a parent. And so I'm in a parent group where I've seen a lot of women talking about that, how they feel more comfortable going to someone in their spiritual life versus going to a counselor. Um, and, uh, I, once upon a time I worked for the church and I saw that so often, um, because in those helping professions, you just want to give, 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 um, and you want to help everyone. And it's just not feasible to do that. And it can, it can, it can really wear on you. Um, if you're not cognizant of it and doing things for self-care and that kind of thing. So Mm -hmm. glad you're doing that research. That's really great. Um, so thank you for that. I'm, I look forward to reading it. Um, I'm just, I'll have a nerd moment and just, you know, <laughs> tell people, oh, I can't wait to read your dissertation. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm fascinated by this, this, uh, subject. So, um, I'm curious to this, uh, I know I gave you some like pre asked questions, but I'm curious too, have you seen, or do you think you will see, more people experiencing compassion fatigue because of the pandemic or because of the different things going on in the, um, you know, and with diversity and inclusion and social justice. And do you think you're going to see more people in the helping profession that are impacted by it? Is any of your research showing some inclination towards that? Yes, I I think we, we will definitely um, be seeing a lot more compassion fatigue uh, just because like you, you can't get away from, all of the horrific things that are happening. Um, so it is really important to, um, be able to like build those self-care strategies for people so that we can address these, um, in in my research so far, there hasn't been too much of an increase, but I, I was working with a very specific population. Um, and so, so I think, um, finding out, if there's something different about this population that has kept them from getting the compassion fatigue might be an important direction to go to. So what do you think, um, you know, I know it's different for everybody and I'll just put a disclaimer here that this is not your official licensed professional counselor (laughs) opinion. This is a podcast, just like if a lawyer was on here, this is not real legal advice, but um, you know, what, do you think there are some good coping strategies if any of our listeners are people who work in that helping field and think that they might be experiencing this? What are some, you know, just a couple or three uh, coping strategies you think might be helpful for them? Yeah, I, I think the the most important one that um, is addressed in the literature most often is finding a support system, um, having someone that you can talk to about the stress that you're experiencing and maybe even someone who can empathize with it. Um, so that like you, you don't feel so alone. Um, definitely like engaging in like self-reflective practices, maybe some mindfulness, meditation, uh, journaling, um, and then just taking care of like your own physical and mental health, um, going for walks, making sure you eat, um, (laughs) eating healthy, uh, just taking those steps. Yeah, that's some really great advice. You know, the the people who support us need support too. So um, that's, and I'm sure it's very hard. I imagine I've always thought that like therapists and counselors, um, you know, had provide such a great service, but it has to be hard on you after a while. So, um, so I'm, I'm glad that you know the strategies and we could share those with our listeners so as far as like going to graduate school, you went pretty much right into 
um, a grad program after you graduated, what advice do you have for students who are considering doing that same thing, going straight from undergrad into a grad program? Yeah, I, uh, that's a great question. I think I maybe had like two weeks of a break before I started my graduate program <laughs> the first time. Um, and so I, I think it's uh, a lot of times when you're like working through the process to go to grad school, you're like trying to decide on your specific focus area. And in your interviews, you get asked exactly what you want to do. And um, I think being able to accept that you don't have to have like a complete answer to that in that moment. Um, Cause it, it can make you feel like, like you're unprepared um, and maybe contribute to some of that imposter syndrome sorts of things. Uh, <laughs> if you feel like you need that um, and that a lot of people make it seem like you do, but really like just knowing some basics about what you want to do um, and some general directions is really all that's needed. Um, and if you've taken like some steps to kind of learn more in those general areas, like um, maybe doing some research if you can, um, or just like having like some basic goals in mind, it's helpful. Yeah. Did you, how did you, um, how did you narrow down your search? Um, did you, well, I mean, you mentioned doing it by program, but where did you start? What resources did you use to start your search? I think I started out just like looking at like the APA, the American Psychological Association's website of programs, um, and then started reading like the bios of um, the faculty for the universities that I was interested in um, and kind of went from there. Um, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I don't have a great answer there. Oh, I think that's something that people don't often think about. You know, they think about, well, I'm going to look at this school. I'm going to look at their rankings. But they, when you're in these grad programs, it's key to find a faculty advisor that is um, someone who you would want to work with or teach for or teach, you know, like serve as a teaching assistant for those kind of things. And the faculty can tell you a lot about the caliber of a university. So doing that research, I think, is absolutely key if, you know, there's not faculty that you can relate to or faculty that um, are studying your area of interest or even, you know, look like you or think like you. That could make your grad program yeah, you know, even more challenging on top of an already challenging program. So I think that's a, I think that's a great answer. I think it's a really important thing to look into, not just, oh, well, I like this school, you know, like I did when I went to college. I was like, well, do they have a big football team? <laughs> football team, is it going to be fun? Like I looked for my major in undergrad, but, <laughs> you know, okay, good. I want to be a journalism major. They have that, but like what else fun stuff do they have? <laughs> Um, yeah, I think like fit is the most important thing with graduate programs that like definitely is never mentioned for undergrads at all. Um, so that that's definitely a difference. Yeah, for sure. Your fit is uh, key to your success and mm -hmm. um, the efficacy, I guess you could say, of your program. So, mm -hmm. um, so what advice would you give to students who are considering going to graduate school? have some sort of plan, some direction. Um, and uh, I guess just like one thing that I learned um, was like in 
my undergraduate program, it was just like, I knew it was going to be four years and um, I, I knew the classes to take. I knew the things to do. It's pretty easy to just, you know, like make sure I did those things. Um, but my graduate program didn't exactly like follow the same sort of like normal path. Um, it was supposed to be a two-year program. I ended up taking three years to do it. Um, and there was like the internship element that had to have like a year of working 20 hours a week at an organization. Um, and so, so it was just, I guess, not like as straightforward. And um, I, I remember at one point, like feeling really frustrated. Another student was just like, it's not a race to get done. Like you have time, just relax and really like try and learn uh, what you're here to learn. Um, and so I think just remembering that like, it, it's a process um, and it's one of those things that kind of like takes as long as it takes and um, try and get what you can out of it. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's when we're in undergrad, there's very clear cut. These are the classes you take. This is, you do this your freshman year, particularly, you know, you were in a program like Regents that was very structured. I think it's a little bit more clear cut. You know, you've got electives and you've got things, but there's very require, required things that you have to take. And so when you get to that grad program, there's so many different directions, even within one degree program that you could take that. I mean, I have my master's in higher education administration, but I did mine with a focus on management. So all my electives were business related mm -hmm. electives. And that's not like, that's not what a lot of people in my program did, but that was what was most beneficial for me because you waited like two weeks to go to grad school. I waited like 10 years to go to grad school. So my focus was a little different at the time. Yeah. I was, you know, working full time and that kind of thing. So it really depends on too, I think where you are. So like what, where you are in your career, what you need to get out of it. It's important to look at those things. So I think yeah. that I think in your advice, there was some good advice, even if you didn't think <laughs> you really had any. I think you have more advice than you think you might. <laughs> <laughs> so do, was, do you think that anything about your time at A&M Commerce has helped shape the person you are today? Yeah, I, I absolutely think so. Um, so again, like you said earlier, like the leadership opportunities, um, that was a really big part of my experience. Um, I, I got to work in residential living and learning. Um, and so um, that had a huge leadership impact. Um, and then also, um, again, being from like a smaller town in North Texas, I didn't have much diversity exposure. Um, and so I think my time at A&M Commerce really like pushed me in that direction of being interested in the diversity and inclusion, just because of like so many opportunities to like meet people, talk to people. And then again, with the Regent Scholars Program and the sophomore year experience, getting to travel and um, be exposed to different cultures for the first time. Um, and so, so I think that A&M Commerce really like helped to shape uh, what I want to do in my career path. Yeah, that's really great. It sounds like you had a lot of really eye-opening experiences. And I think that's, I, I hear that often from students. And I'm so glad that you um, had those experiences. And, you know, uh, you, you keep saying small town in North Texas. Where are you from? Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm from Whitesboro. 
Oh, okay. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I have a family lake house, well, lake cabin. Uh, lake house is a stretch. <laughs> lake <laughs> cabin at Texoma. So, okay. <laughs> uh, Whitesboro often. So that's very good. Um, and did you mention, did I hear you say earlier you were in the band or did I make that up? Yeah. Yes, I was. <laughs> You know, it's funny. I uh, I was in the band in high school. So the drum major for two years running, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I went to high school in Dallas. But I I, re- I remember meeting a drum major from Whitesboro, Texas, of all places. We were at like drum major camp <laughs> um, uh, when I was in high school. So, what did you play? I play the clarinet um, oh, and then the bass clarinet. Yeah, me too. We we are kindred spirits. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one thing that the is interesting that I learned in band that I feel like I will carry with me always is I cannot walk next to someone without immediately like adjusting my feet to be <laughs> up with them. Um, it's just like second nature to me. And I haven't been in a band in a very long time, but I still do it to this day. So it's a very interesting fun fact. <laughs> Um, so, you know, knowing everything, you know, now, is there anything you would change, whether it's about your undergraduate experience or about your master's program? Is there anything you would go back and change about your higher ed experience? I, I kind of think about that often, um, because I decided to do something so different from what I initially like set out to do. <laughs> um, and so, um, a lot of times, like I, I think about whether I actually should have pursued a counseling program or not. And maybe if I had have known um, more about like community psychology and been more ready to move in that direction, uh, then then maybe I would have started out in a different direction. But ultimately, like I, I am glad that I pursued the counseling program um, because I feel like it's just a good skill set to have to like know how to communicate well with people. Um, and be able to interact and empathize. Um, and so ultimately, I'm glad that I, I went into that program and have that skills. Um, and now it's helpful because I'm able to like use that um, to do some counseling work, even while I'm working on my PhD. Um, and so I don't think I would do things differently, but there there is always that little thought of like, if I did, I would be in a completely different place now. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it always funny to see where your path takes you? And you think if I had changed one decision, if, um, you know, what if you had decided, you know, you didn't get into that combined program? Like, what if you decided not to go there? Like, where would it be? But I think it's, I think it's okay to think about those things. But I also am of the feeling that like, of the belief that everything happens for a reason and leads us to where we are in life. And uh, it's, it's also interesting. I was, think I've said this multiple times, but I never in a million years, if you had told me 10 years ago that I'd be, you know, living in small town, East Texas, married, two kids, <laughs> um, uh, you know, adjunct faculty member, I would have laughed at you because I hadn't even gotten my master's 10 years ago. So um, it's, it's always interesting to see where uh, your, where our paths can take us. So I'm, I'm glad to be on your journey with you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I have another question about just sort of that I ask, I pretty much ask everybody, but what would you say is the best piece of advice you've ever received, whether that's from someone 
here during your time at AM Commerce or someone in one of your other programs, what would you say is the best piece of advice you've ever received? While I was a student at AM Commerce, um, I worked a lot with um, one of the supervisors in residential living and learning. Um, and I remember that she always used to say, um, perception is reality. Um, and so that piece of advice really stuck with me because like it's <laughs> been quite a while and I still remember it. Um, so, so I think um, that that's been really important. Um, and it, I think understanding that thought, like those just like three words um, really changes how you interact with people um, because you, you can't know what their perception is. Um, but that defines their experience. Um, so just kind of being open-minded to approach people with more grace and understanding. Yeah, that's really great advice. And, um, you know, sometimes when people give us advice, it's long-winded, but sometimes there's just these little nuggets of wisdom that somebody gives you that really, you know, just stick with you. I've heard people, um, when I've asked that question before, say things like trust the process and, um, you know, go where your heart tells you, you know, those sort of like, I call them like, um, ones that you can, you know, put on a sign in your office. <laughs> those are the ones that really do have such an impact. And I, I, I actually wrote that down because I want to, um, I'm out of room for signs in my office, but <laughs> I do want to remember that one, put it on a post-it on my desk. Um, so, uh, I am a former recruiter. And so I like to have a little fun with our guests and uh, ask some sort of interview style questions. So um, I'm going to do that. I, can't, I just can't help myself. And so I'm going to ask you a few sort of rapid style interview questions. And um, I would love to hear your answers. So are you ready? Yeah. <laughs> what would you say is your greatest strength? Um, I, I guess I, I can adapt pretty easily um, to different situations um, as like I've, I've been in so many different programs um, and a lot of different work environments. Um, I, I think that I'm able to adjust to them pretty well. Very good. Um, yeah, from Whitesboro to Commerce to North Dakota to Wichita State, uh, lots of different <laughs> environments for sure. And that's just the location. There's more, so many layers beyond that. Um, so what on the flip side of that coin, and you knew this one was coming, but what is your greatest weakness? Yeah, um, I think that one is that sometimes I have some trouble being present in the moment um, <laughs> and like really just enjoying like the experience of something. I, I struggle with uh, what people call like the destination happiness of wanting, um, thinking happiness will be in the next step. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, not only were we both clarinet players, but uh, that is something I struggle with too. I, I'm, a, I'm a planner by nature. And so I can 100% relate to that, but I'd never thought of it as the happiness destination. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write <laughs> that one down too. Um, <laughs> Um, so my next question is, if you could be any part of the bicycle, what part of the bicycle would you be and why? So immediately, like, as you're asking that, I start looking at my bike, trying to, like, <laughs> analyze where I would belong. <laughs> I've ever but, asked this question to someone who is a bike, like an actual bike rider. They have a tendency to overthink it because they are so, <laughs> your bike, I'm not a bike person. I'm a 
watch my kid ride her scooter and her tricycle walk around the block person. <laughs> um, but, uh, but people who are actually like cyclists in real life have a tendency to over overthink this one. So no pressure <laughs> on the answer. There's no wrong answer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I wouldn't say I'm like so much into cycling that it's going to get that like technical, um, <laughs> but, but I'm going to go with uh, my handlebars um, because I think like I, do a really good job of like being a support for people. Um, part of that is like the role as a counselor. And part of that is just like who I am. I, I try to be very encouraging and supportive. Okay. Very good. I like that. You like to steer people in a positive direction too. <laughs> yeah. That, that was a much better way of saying that. <laughs> I was a journalism and public relations major. I can get a th- pull a theme from anything. <laughs> <laughs> So as we wrap up, I guess um, my really my just last question for you is if our listeners were to leave this uh, podcast and remember just one thing about you or about your lion talk, one piece of advice or anything, what would you want that to be? I think this uh, discussion has kind of like highlighted the the theme of like uh, just like transitioning, being flexible um, and just like keep going even when um, the the direction isn't exactly clear or exactly where you thought it would go. Um, so I, I think that's what it would be is just like keep working towards what you're doing, um, keep going, even if it's not the path that you thought it was going to be. Very good. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you uh, taking the time out to speak with us. um, And we're excited to see what you uh, continue to do in the area of compassion fatigue. And when when do you finish your um, PhD? How close or how far away are you? (laughs) Hopefully, it will be one year from August. (laughs) Year from August. Okay, that's a countdown. Destination happiness, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> well, very good. Well, we look forward to your you sharing the um, that date of graduation with us so we can let our social media followers know uh, after they listen to your podcast that there is light at the end of that doctoral tunnel for them as well. So, uh, again, thank you so much for uh, speaking with us today, and we uh, look forward to seeing you in the future. Thanks so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. You have been listening to Lion Talks, a production of the staff of Career Development at Texas A&M Commerce. If you are in need of job search assistance or are an employer looking to hire a lion, please email us at hirealion at tamuc.edu. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts so you can join us in two weeks for the next episode of Lion Talks. To stay updated about our programs, services, job opportunities, and upcoming hiring events, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at TAMUC Hire a Lion.